0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach with Think Chat, and welcome to Confession 117, where today we're going to explore how do we show the expectations of a school within the classroom. This episode came from a question that was posed by my friend Nurali Parikh. She is a transitional kindergarten teacher originally from India that works at the Creation Village uh, World School in Celebration, Florida. And I've had the pleasure of working with Nirali on several occasions. And every time we meet, she makes me think differently about the capabilities of an early years child. My heart is happy every time she sends me pictures of how she's getting her learners to engage thoughtfully through concepts, uh, through the transdisciplinary themes and to evidence learning. If you haven't already, consider following Nirali on Twitter at, I'm going to spell it out, N-I-R-A-L-I-P, like in Peter, A-R-I-K-H-7. I'll also put um, her handle on the description of this episode. So here's Narali's question. What are the expectations of the school? That's very simple, but my goodness, does that simple question spread its tentacles into every aspect of a school building? If the expectations of a school are unclear, how can we expect teachers to deliver a purpose-driven curriculum? Because the two go hand in hand. And when leadership has limited or no vision of where the school is headed, it impacts how and what is taught. But let's flip that on its head and let's try to consider a school that has some vision. How are the expectations seen throughout the campus? and one way I believe a school that has clear expectations um, and it's very evident is that it's aligned with the PYP transdisciplinary approach to learning and teaching it's visible when you walk through the campus within and beyond the classrooms so let's take a look at what this might look and feel like so transdisciplinary learning at the heart of everything we do is the transdisciplinary approach to learning and teaching. What does that mean? That we teach all the subjects together and through each other. That we're gonna be working on projects where we're gonna have a mixture of science and social studies, language arts and math and art, and sometimes computer work, um, and sometimes physical education, right? Whatever the specialist or special area teachers that you have into the curriculum. So it's dynamic and robust. In real life, when we address complex issues, we do not separate out all the various subjects that we're talking about, right? And, uh, to try to solve the problem, we consider all aspects together. So, like, for instance, if we're trying to build a house, right, the first thing that we would need is we'd need to have an architect draw up some plans. That's going to require mathematical equations, especially of geometry, to make sure that the plan that they make will stand. Next, we need to get, you know, like the city to come out and inspect the land and make sure that the water is all good, all the hookups and all the land and all the requirements that are... uh, need to be met in for that to be required then you have to actually have the construction crew come in and physically build Um, all of that requires um, knowing how to what's the environmental impact on the land by building right what are the cost factors How's safety involved? Is the building safe? Um, How much of a carbon footprint is it? All of those factors come into place. That's how we deal in the real world. So why are we still teaching children in separate content areas? It just doesn't work. And the reason probably is simple. It's hard. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and collaborative planning um, to teach in a transdisciplinary approach. Every teacher on the team must be unified in the same purpose and be on board to teaching in the same manner. That doesn't mean that you can't teach to your own unique style and use your own unique tools, okay? You can still guide your learners how you think best. But the angle and also the checkpoints along the way are in alignment. And we are trying to create young learners who can think, who can do, and who can act. It's that simple. And to do this, we need to approach our classrooms and how we design them differently. And in the last episode, we talked about the importance of the unit wall. Now we're going to begin unpacking specifically what that means and why it matters. So let's start with unpacking the transdisciplinary theme descriptor. I'm going to begin with upper elementary primary levels. At the beginning of the unit, I give one word or what we call a concept from the theme descriptor to a group. And I asked them, um, those learners in the various groups, to unpack that word into kid-friendly language. So they use devices to discover synonyms, images, and other references to help frame it out, similar to that bundling activity that we did in the last episode. I want them to get the big idea and then, I have a pile of pictures on a table or on some desks, and I ask my learners to choose one image that represents to them the big picture of that word. But that's not where we end, that's where bundling ends. The next piece is this, is I get them to describe their word using, ironically, a scientific approach, but I think it's brilliant for anything in inquiry, it's called Claim Evidence Reasoning, or CER. So the claim is, what do you know? Evidence. How do you know that? Reasoning. Why does your evidence support your claim? So I get my students to go through the process of bundling and getting their information, and then they have to go into groups and prove that the answers they have and the evidence they have represents their claim. So after um, what happens is that they say, hey, this is belief in value. Here's what we know, and here's the evidence that they collected. Here's how we know that evidence is reflective of that, of that word. That's our claim. And after they presented it to the group, the rest of the students evaluate if the argument is valid and if the group requires more evidence to prove their claim. Now we're peer reviewing and we're also um, making sure that that textual evidence, right, is enough. And once the evidence is satisfactory, we post the CER and the photo around the transdisciplinary theme descriptor. And I put mine above my smart board, so it's prominent in a place where students are going to see it. The theme descriptors stay up all year long, so learners can refer back to these concepts on a big, regular basis. And what's also nice is now I have certain groups that are experts in a concept, so when we're exploring it, I have them uh, remind the class what it means in kid friendly language. The kids are doing the thinking, "I am not. I'm just the wielder of the of the knowledge. So in lower elementary or primary classroom, how do I do the same process with my early learners? One possible way is just to choose the one concept from the descriptor that you'll be focusing on during the unit of inquiry. That's required when you unit plan, right? Ask your learners to share what that word means. Then choose a picture that shows it in action. That sounds simple. And we're going to um, help them use that C-E-R too to unpack it and. real context. So now we're going to give a real life example because it's harder with early years. So you're beginning the who we are unit of inquiry. Your conceptual focus from the transdisciplinary theme descriptor is beliefs and values. So with your students, you unpack the concept of beliefs and values into kid friendly terms. You ask learners to give specific examples of how they share their beliefs and values with their community. Fair enough. You provide three to five pictures of beliefs and values in action and ask your class to choose two, only two that can be displayed with the theme descriptor. It's important that they choose the images that represent how they think about this concept, not you, because we want them to remember it. Then we're gonna embed C-E-R. We're going to ask the learners to provide a reason this picture is the best. And we're going to write that down. And have learners provide the reasons orally, obviously, why you transcribe. So that's going to be evidence. And then we're going to have learners ponder if evidence provided is enough to support that the picture is the most important. Right? We're going to talk about it. By completing this process as a whole group, you're able to guide the process while establishing deeper conceptual connections with your learners. It provides a focus to your learners that the expectation is that we are thinking conceptually. That's what that is. Going back to that original question, what are expectations? We're learning conceptually. Okay, so, and also, we're going to be evaluated on our understanding of the central idea, so this also. I mean, the the concepts and the theme descriptors, so this also matters. So now unpacking that big central idea, or the big idea of the unit. And one of the ways to show expectations of the learning is to unpack the central idea with your learners. Since the central idea shapes the understanding of the unit, it's important that learners know it in their kid-friendly terms, and they can apply it back to their own lives. So, how can we make this happen easily? So, first, I'm going to start with upper um, elementary primary. So, how I do it is I present the centra idea to my learners and ask them what they think the individual words mean, okay? Um, and as a whole sentence. I'll have them talk. They bring back their understanding of because in upper elementary, they know some words that sound similar, that have root words, or uh, you know, whatnot. So we unpack then each concept and verb separately. And I kind of create word banks of what that word might be. And so they can find the words that resonate with them. Because not every child's going to resonate with, with the concept, but they can resonate with a synonym. So here's the process I use with upper elementary primary age children. So here's a practical example. So we examine one related concept and a verb at a time. So the concept I'm choosing is well-being. So I'll ask my learners, well, when I say well-being, what does that mean? And I usually start them off, health. And then they're like fitness and self-care, mindfulness balance, movement, exercise, sports, blah, blah, blah. And we make that whole brainstorm of what well-being. But for others, it might be like, and notice, health, fitness, self-care, mindfulness, balance, movement, exercise, sports. Those are all nouns. And we need to go noun and noun. And I create a similar um, list of words for the other um, concepts in the central idea as well as the action verb. You can either use pictures in two ways. You can capture a picture for each word. That's fine. Like what is well-being and have one picture to rule them all. Then one picture for the action verb. And then the two other concepts, let's just say or you capture a picture of what the central idea looks like as a whole but don't do both because you'll get the children confused personally speaking i kind of like i like both and it just depends on your learners and where they are and being able to synthesize right that makes sense and what i like about unpacking a central idea with upper um elementary learners is that now i've given them a word bank for each of the concepts and the verb and now they take a word from each of the bank and create their own central idea this is important because they're going to be assessed on the central idea now they've put it into their own kid-friendly terms what it means to them that's going to be written in their portfolio as well as they're going to, you know, uh, basically create a, a summative assessment to reflect that, right? And it literally could be where they do a little writing or drawing or creating a little video of their understanding of the central idea in their own way. Very tiny, it's not grandiose projects anymore. But the biggest thing is that your central idea is written to drive and lead to action. So then I ask my students, well, now that you understand the central idea, how are you gonna act on it? That's the major aha for them. I can do something with this? Amazing. All right, so now let's look at our lower elementary and primary grades. With the little ones, I still use conceptual language in the central idea, but I break it down into words they know, just like I did with the older kids. And at my old school, Foster Elementary, the kindergarten team used the central idea, awareness of self drives choices. We knew the central idea was too big for our learners to understand on their own. And here's how I helped them to break it down. So we looked at awareness. When we looked at awareness, right, I showed them a picture of a light bulb, right? And they always knew, like, the brain with the light bulb. Oh, I got an idea. And then I had a picture of a child stopping and scrunching up their face and they're thinking. And I said, awareness is when you get a lot of ideas, but then you stop and think about it. You can get a lot of ideas and not think about them. But when you stop to think about them, you really know them now. And they're like, yeah, that's awareness. I said, self. And I had a picture of a child looking into the mirror and a big word me above it. And they're like, oh, self is me. Okay. Drives. And I'd say, no, it doesn't mean to drive a car. And so I showed uh, pictures of people making or creating something, right? Moving it forward. And then choices, pictures of good and bad choices. And when we unpack the central idea together, Um, The teacher had them play matching games of looking at good and bad choices, they did role plays, they did a lot of engagements to show awareness. And we had a discussion about how do we know if we're making a choice or if it's a mistake. And the big aha for the children was the difference is that we know when we're making a bad choice um, and we're doing it on purpose. When we don't know and like maybe we hurt someone's feelings and we didn't mean to, that's just a mistake we, because we don't have awareness of it. And that was a big aha for my littles at my school. And for the action, learners were asked to consider some choices that they've made that week. And just that week, because they can't remember, you know, we're talking at the beginning of the week this is happening, like Monday or Tuesday right? And they're asked to think, how could they make their choices even better? And this was the summit of assessment. So here's a choice I made, and here's how I can make it better. And done, right? I mean, it's not that hard, because it's about awareness, right? And it's about them understanding of what's the difference between being aware of the choices that I'm making. And we get and we really push them to think about the social studies and science that they'd been looking learning about as well, about rights and responsibilities and within like community helpers and all of that. And then also um, taking care of plants and animals. So those things were also tied. And we would really like trying to rise them up and say, remember thinking about our choices about those things too. It was amazing to see what the little students could yield because our earlier students can do it. Now, year-long displays. What the heck are year-long displays? This was a question posed by Emanuel Zurai, who is a PYP homeroom teacher at the International School of the Stockholm, Stockholm Region, ISSR. And he made me think about year-long displays, because the question he asked is, what aspects are worth staying longer on the wall? To me, it's all about preference. What do you value most? What do you think learners should know? And here are some of my preferences. So as I previously mentioned, I like theme descriptors. After unpacking the transdisciplinary themes, I leave them posted above my dry erase or smart board. And... I unpack them as I go along. So in the beginning of the year, I only unpack one. The rest have a title, but that's it, or just have the descriptor there. And I want my learners to constantly go back and use them. And when I revisit a concept, I'm say, "Oh," I go back and say, "Who was my expert group on this?" And it helps with learning transfer, also teaching kid to kid. Another thing that I've seen that's brilliant is like miniature work unit walls. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a um, Ivan development at the Frankfurt International School in Wiesbaden. And I noticed that many of the classrooms put their um, big, you know, unit ideas onto poster boards and place them in the room at the top near each other so that children could see the progression of the units through the year and try to connect them to the current unit. This allowed learners, you know, to see those big ideas and how the teaching and the learning was connected. It wasn't just by happenstance. Last but not least is key concept and learner profile boards or displays. Another thing that might be of value is to collect evidence of key concepts in the learner profile attributes in action during each unit of inquiry, but keep a running display throughout the year because you know you're going to revisit those concepts as you go through. And so then you don't have to reteach them. You can just remind students, remember we did this when we unpacked the concept last time. Well, now here's an opportunity to revisit again. And this is what, and now we're going to add to it to stretch our thinking. Whoa, whoa. Ah, amazing and I think you could do the same thing with the learner profile attributes um, instead of having those fancy dancy uh, you know uh, displays maybe just have the focus of the learner profile and then evidence of what that looks like I hope these ideas help to shape the expectation of the school into practice join us next time as we explore um, what transdisciplinary learning looks like through the lines of inquiry. I'm excited about that one because that's my favorite thing to do. So hopefully we'll see you next time.